Uh, let's start off the book of Genesis, church. I- I'm excited about this, this book. I want to start it in a pretty bizarre way, I guess. I want you to say with me the opening lines of the Pledge of Allegiance. Told you it was going to be odd. <clears throat> and and so y'all all have it queued up. Pledge of Allegiance, you ready to roll with it? You're like, Troy, I've been fasting the past three days. I don't remember my name, much less the Pledge of Allegiance. It starts with, I pledge allegiance. All right. Just first line. Pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. To Republic. All right, that's enough. You, you've, already, you've already proved my point. Anytime that we do the Pledge of Allegiance, it always starts out robust. I pledge allegiance. I think it's a little bit less. To the flag. United States of America. To the Republic. For which it stands. And it kind of wanes, right? And I think the reason it wanes is because we've said it a million times. And so it can get repetitious, right? And it can get boring if we let it. We shouldn't, but it can become that way if, if we're not careful. Well, I say all that to say this. The verses that we're going to hit today in Genesis, you have said a million more times or read a million more times than the Pledge of Allegiance. This is the most read verses of all of the Bible. As a matter, as a matter of fact, if you're one of those people that every year you go, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. The one-year Bible reading program. Raise your hand if that's you, right? And then you make it about a weekend, and you're like at numbers, and you're like, I'm out. <laughs> well, skip. You always hit Genesis 1, 1, and 2. It's, it's the most read verses of the Bible. And, man, I don't want it to be boring. I don't want it to become repetitious for our church like the Pledge of Allegiance can become if we let it. It shouldn't be that way. The book of Genesis is littered with life and excitement, and that's how I want Genesis to be for us. It's quite literally how all things became new. It's how everything began. It's, it's the seed, if you will, that's planted in that all of life blossoms out of. And I want us to find life and excitement through the book of Genesis. And I hope that you'll study it. Um, we have sent out, if you're a covenant partner, you should have received a mailer. And you already have, did y'all get that? Okay. You should have the entire outline. Man, study ahead of time. If you want the outline, I'll be glad to give it to you. Study ahead of time. Let's dive in. Let's, let's chew through this book and, and let's let it become... Like a, I don't know, like a yummy brownie to our soul. I've been fasting again, ready for some brownies. All right. So with that said, um, we've just kind of jumped off already, and you didn't even know it. Let, let's dive into this book that we um, have come to know as Genesis. Genesis, the word itself, it's going to pop up on the screen. Um, Genesis, the word is Bereshit. Um, it's not spelled that way. I didn't spell it the correct way because I didn't want you all giggling, but it is Bereshit. And what it means is this, it means beginnings, quite literally the beginning of, beginning of, of what? And your quick answer may be, well, it's the, well that's, it's the beginning of creation, Troy, duh. It is. But man, Genesis is so much more than that. And if all we um, understand Genesis to be is the beginning of creation, then we will do away with uh, the vast amount of all the beginnings that it really is. Uh, Genesis is the, the beginning of the doctrine of God himself. Who is God? What does he do? What is he, what is he like? Genesis refutes atheism. It refutes pantheism. It refutes deism. It, it refutes materialism. All these things. Uh, it's the beginning of creation, yes, of atoms and molecules and, and animals and plants and herbs and all these different things. It's, it's the beginning of the doctrine of man. Man in perfection. Uh, men and women created in perfection 
Never with an understanding of death to come, full of wisdom, full of intellect. Please don't think of Genesis and think of Adam and go, well, that was that dumb Cro-Magnum. I don't, Cro-Magnum, is that the name of Cro- You know, walking around with a cane, with a club and banging women over the head and dragging them into a cave, you know, whatever. Don't think of Adam like that. I mean, this is the guy that named every animal, right? I can't even name my three children all the time. And he named, he's full of wisdom, perfection. It's it's the beginning of that. What was that always all about? It's the beginning of the doctrine of marriage. What is relationships all about? What is the beauty of distinct gender? What is the beauty of parenting? What is the beauty of uh, children? What is the beauty of helpmates? What is the beauty of purpose? All of these things are found in Genesis. It's the beginning of the doctrine of sin. How did something very good turn very bad really fast? It's the beginning of the doctrine of salvation, redemption, grace, joy, happiness. All of these because of God's intervention and not because of what man has done. It's the beginning of the doctrine of Christology, of Christ. You go, Troy, hold up a second. I've never seen Jesus in Genesis. Well, dear friend, we ain't going to make it to chapter 3 before you see Jesus. As a matter of fact, you're going to see him today because that's our church. We're going to talk about Jesus every Sunday. But, but you enter into Genesis 3 already and you see Jesus busting on the scene where God says, Listen, I'm going to send one who is going to crush the head of the serpent that keeps striking your heel. That's Jesus. It's a foreshadowing. It really is the pillars, I guess, if you will, of Christianity. That's what Genesis is. Uh, we built a staircase by God's grace right outside. If, if you walk out the door, it goes up into the upper kids area. And when they decided to build this, the staircase, um, I thought, man, this should, this should be easy. They'll just bring a piece of steel in here, throw it up there. Not so much. Uh, this shows you you don't want me building your house, by the way. Um, they dug some holes, and I was like, hey, guys, we're not trying to go down. <laughs> we're trying to get up. How do, how do we get up? And so they poured four pillars, poured them deep, poured concrete pillars. That's what Genesis is. If we don't understand Genesis, you really cannot understand anything else about the rest of the fullness of Scripture. That's how vitally important it is. So that's Genesis. The content, man, it is not dry at all. Genesis is exciting. Um, creation and the account of creation is better than anything Marvel has ever come up with. And listen to me, I am counting down the days for Doctor Strange to come out. I think it's like 80 days left. Creation account Genesis blows Marvel away. Okay? Marriage. When we come to this understanding of marriage, it's, it's better than any Hallmark movie you've ever watched, even the Christmas ones that you cry over. It's just better than that. Um, the flood. We're going to hit the flood. Dateline murder mysteries. Julie Beth, y'all help her, please. She's walking around our house these days with earbuds in, listening to murder mysteries. Number one, help her. Number two, if I come up dead, you know what happened. All right? You get to the flood, man, it's way better than anything that comes. You get to the Tower of Babel, and it's better than anything CNN or Fox is throwing out societally. You get to all these different people and lots of People everywhere. I'm just telling you, there's some awesome people we're going to go across. But here's the thing about these awesome people. And they are royal messes. They are absolute messes. They're better than anything Maury Povich has ever come up with. All right? It's just a mess. Noah. 
We're going to find Noah in a few weeks drunk and naked, right? You're like, no, that's the guy that built the ark. He did. And then he got hammered and naked. <laughs> I mean, which goes to show you if you build an ark. Yeah, okay. Um, so here's the deal. What I'm getting at is this. All of these things are going to point us to this content that's full in life-giving. So bring your popcorn. Or if you're like Julie Beth, stuff all kind of things in your, in your knapsack if you go to the movie theater. Um, you laugh. Other people like that, yeah. I mean, we go to the movies, and, and Julie Beth <laughs> pops open her, her purse, and she's like, here's some chips. And I'm like, chips? We're in a movie. And she's like, would you like a Slim Jim? Like, Why not a Slim Jim? And then she pours out a can of pork and beans. Right? I'm like, babe, I don't <laughs> a Pork and beans. It's like you've got the whole pantry in there, right? We digress. My point is, this book is not boring. It is dry. It's not dry. <laughs> it's the antithesis of dry. It's, it's full, and it's going to be fun. So make intention to be here and bring people with you. We'll pack more chairs in here, okay? All right, so with that said, um, the content is not dry. Let me show you the outline again. Here's the outline, boom. Uh, that's just kind of a, a format of, of what Genesis looks like in an overview picture. If, if you're into this type thing, if you're like me, that's my love language, these things. Uh, take a picture of it. If you don't get a picture right now, and just know, you can always take pictures at Safe Haven of the screen. Just don't take a picture of this guy or Tyler. Um, but we'll shoot you that as well. This is kind of the outline of, of what's going on. Every story that we come across is going to be a, a, a person who falls into sin. Um, God's going to give them a speech. And then after the speech, there's going to be punishment. And then he's going to offer grace. And he's going to offer redemption. And he's going to bring about a remnant. It's the story of history. It's our story. We're botch-ups, he speaks to us, and then he offers us grace and hope and mercy. That's it. And so we're going to see that over and over and over. In other words, where sin increases in Genesis, grace will abound still more. That's where Genesis will show us. It's going to show us that God's faithful even when his people are not. Amen? Like, that's good enough right there. Even when we're not faithful, he's going to prove to be Faithful. The best of the patriarchs are hopelessly messy. And despite man's wretchedness, God will always make a way. So, the author is Moses. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time here. Um, and if you want to get stuck in the quagmire or the quicksand of textual criticism, please go Google who is the author of Genesis, and you're going to find yourself in a death spiral into no man's land. And the reason being is because secular people, if you go to any professor that's secular at the UA, you're not going to hear that Moses is the author of Genesis because it doesn't fit the agenda. Um, but squarely, Moses is the author. We'll leave it there because if I begin talking about that, we'll be here until Olive Garden arrives and we don't want that. All right. <clears throat> so how do we know that Moses is the author? I could take you to Exodus. I could take you to Deuteronomy. I could take you to all these things. But let's just bypass all of them. Jesus was not a professor, I'll admit that, but hey, he was God. <laughs> and Jesus himself in John chapter 5 said that Moses wrote all of the law. Um, so I'm going to go with Jesus, all right? So we'll stick with him. He said Moses wrote it, so I'm going to go with Jesus. So uh, I'll, we'll go with uh, Moses as the author. The event, the timetable, if you will. Genesis was written about 3,000-ish years ago. 
And most people don't realize that the book of Genesis was written to a bunch of refugees. Now, what do I mean by that? It was written in the time of the Exodus. And so if you'll remember, God's people has been under Egyptian captivity. They leave the rule and reign of the pharaohs and they're wandering in the wilderness. While they're wandering in the wilderness, they begin asking questions like, okay, we've been raised believing everything that the Egyptians told us. We've been raised believing that Ra is God and that, I know Zeus is Greek, but I can't come up with other uh, Egyptian gods. That Ra is God and this is God and that's God and this is God and this is God. So who's God? And Moses has to answer these questions. And so as they wander through the wilderness, they're asking, okay, the Egyptians told us that this is how the world began. Moses, how did the world begin? And if you'll remember, as they begin to ask all kind of questions, you know this, God said to Moses, Moses, I'm going to speak to you and write this down. And he did. And so in the period of the Exodus, Moses is spoken to by God. He writes all these things down and questions about life, cultural laws, all these kind of things. And so now you're like, Troy, man, that's a big intro. The text. Genesis 1. Has that whet your appetite? That's my goal. My goal is to get you ready. I want you to, man, I want you to want this book. Okay? And hopefully it's done so. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. We will not be able to do this every Sunday because we're going to take some big chunks as we go through this book. But today we can. Uh, Let's read this verse aloud together and honor God's word. Would you stand with me and let's read this together. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. And hey, let's let's read it louder than the Pledge of Allegiance. You know, let's... Let's do this, okay? Here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was, became without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the earth. Waters. Good job, church. Be seated. So right off the bat, we've got the big bang. Everybody wants a big bang these days. Well, we got a big bang. We've got a creator who creates a creation. And dear friend, that is a pretty big bang right there. We've got a God who steps in and and, and creates creation. Um, I want to look at three things out of this passage that we just read together for our first sermon in Genesis. Uh, Number one is this. I want to look at in the beginning, if you will, with me. In the beginning um, points to the miraculous over the scientific. And that's just what I want to kind of look at today. Science is always seeking to satisfy our curiosities. That's the point of science. It's all based on hypothesis. Come up with um, a hypothesis, try to prove it, come up with a thesis, but even in the thesis, you still got curiosity and all this kind of stuff. That's, science is just riddled in that. Science is the child going to the parent and asking the question, why do I have to go to the dentist? It's, it's out of curiosity. That's, that's the point of, of science. Well, Genesis does not begin scientific at all. <laughs> it just begins with miraculous. Without explanation, without answering any of the whys, it begins with, in the beginning. That's how it was. So instead of scientific, seeking for our curiosity, Genesis begins with just this truth statement. And it's a truth statement that is to be received as unquestionable fact. That's how it begins. And it begins phenomenological, phenomenologically like that on 
purpose. And so I guess to carry along with that illustration, it's basically God going, hey, I made it. And then us as children going, well, <laughs> well, when and why and all this kind of stuff. And God goes, when I made it. That's my answer. In the beginning, fact, it's that direct, it's that pointed, it just begins like that. And true satisfactory answers really can only come from divine inspired truth anyway, right? Because everything else really is just a hypothesis. But if God said it, then as the old saying goes, that settles it. If God said it, that settles it, and that's how Genesis begins. It begins with this robust, just fact, in the beginning. In the beginning, I, I did this. And so Genesis really is not like the, the child asking the parent, hey, why are we going to the dentist? It's more like the parent saying to the child, hey, you're going to the dentist. That's fact. It don't matter why. It don't matter when. It just means get up in the car. We're going to the dentist. And now for everybody who has phobias of dentists, you're now freaked out and shivering. Right, we'll get away from the dentist analogy right now. But, but here's the deal. This speaks to the inerrancy of the Bible. And I'm going to just hang out there real quick by saying this. If we don't receive this in the beginning as fact then what we're attempting to do is to remove the linchpin of God's sovereignty in truth. Either the Scripture's true, and all of it's true, or it's not at all true. We've got to take either all of it or none of it. And anyone who ever begins to, to wane, who begins to move into liberal theology who begins to say, well, I choose to believe this, and I choose not to believe this, and I choose to believe this, what they're doing is they're doing away with the inerrancy and the power of divine authority over Scripture. It's just that slide, and that slide takes you to crazy town really fast if you're not careful. And so we come to this passage, and we as a church say this, in the beginning God created. That's our answer. How the world come into being? In the beginning God did it. Yeah, but what about this? What about that? What about this? I don't know your what's and I don't know your why's. But in the beginning, God. And, and so this is where it begins. It begins with this miraculous over the scientific. And then it moves on, number two, to this. God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning. It, what I want to look at here really is just monotheism over polytheism. Scripture begins by pointing to a monotheistic God. Or a one God as we in the the church would call the Trinity, who exists in three distinct persons. <clears throat> now, remember what I said. Troy, why would you bring that up? Well, here's why. Because remember, this book was written as they're traveling in the Exodus. And all they've ever known is, well, this God did the rain, this God did the sun, this God does fertility, this God does the, the, the moon, this God does this. And so it's this understanding. And they're asking the question, Moses, well, what is true? And God says to Moses, you tell them, as Exodus says, I am. I'm the one who did it. God, Elohim, and that's the word that's used. And we'll get to that in just a second. God's name is not God. So a lot of times we'll refer to God and we'll go, well, God did this or God did Well, that's, that's not God's name. The word God is akin to us being human, Right? So Kavon is Kavon, 
But Kayvon is also distinct as human. Right, Madeline? He is a human, right? (laughs) Somewhat, yeah. So you bear the category of human, but your name is distinct. God bears the category of God, but his name is Yahweh, right? So so this is how this plays itself out. So it's fascinating to me, in this passage, right off the bat, in the beginning, God created, and when you come to this word here, God's name can also be singular El, E-L, but in the Hebrew, it's not right here. It's actually plural. You can go search that out on your own. It's the same as when God began creating humanity. He said this, let us, plural, make man in, somebody say it for me, our image. So right off the bat, God begins to say, monotheism, there is one God, yes, I did it, but there's also plurality, and that plurality begins to flesh itself out within the Trinity. This is so good and yummy. Like, are three people excited with me for that? Right, okay. Everybody else is like, wah, 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 Olive Garden breadsticks, how do I get to that? This is good stuff, church. My point is, right off the bat, God begins combating everything they've known through Egypt and saying this, God in the beginning did this. Not various gods did this. God, Elohim, did this. Not Ra, not the sun god, whatever. God did this. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And we see all three right here. We know that the Father, Yahweh, is the author of everything that began. The Father, Yahweh, God, the Father, said, listen, in the beginning, here's what we're going to do. He penned it. He authored it. This is what's going to happen. And then we get to John 1, and we know that Jesus was the agent by which all of creation actually happened. God said, there's going to be a plant, and Jesus makes plant. However, like I just dumbed it down. Like I'm sure he didn't do like that. and make, Or maybe he did. I don't know how he did it. You know, whatever. <clears throat> And why do we know that? Because John chapter 1 tells us that nothing came into being apart from Jesus Christ. He was the agent of all of it. And so we got the Father represented, we've got the Son represented, and then the Spirit right here. We've got the Spirit hovering over the earth. And now here's the deal. We don't like to talk about the Spirit a lot because we don't understand Him fully, right? And He kind of freaks us out a little bit. But church, this is where the hope is in this passage. The hope is in this, that the Spirit was moving about, already beginning the sustaining work of creation. So the Father authors it, the Son is the agent, and then the Spirit is the thing that holds it all together, just like He does today. And aren't you glad that the Spirit still holds your heart together? He's still hovering. That's where the hope is. That's the goody-goody yum drops. Right to go Willy Wonka up on you. It's, it's the picture. I, I, we love watching Planet Earth at our house. Um, not the Snoop Dogg, Planet Earth. Don't be confused. Although that's pretty funny. Uh, but the real Planet Earth, okay? I love watching that. And so me and Julie Beth were watching that not too long ago. And it was the one where the eagles, they, they did the eagles, and they're up on, like they, they put their, their babies, I guess they're chicks, I don't know what they are, um, the little eagles, they got the little eagles in the nest 
up on top of the hill, and the mother goes down and she, you know, rips apart another animal. <laughs> you know, is going to feed her chick out of love and takes it up there, and then she feeds it to him. Now, here's the cool thing. And then that mother eagle, to protect her baby chick eagles, will just flutter and hover over that nest, and ain't nothing come near it. And here's what we see in Genesis. We see the father going, I got a great plan. Here's what we're going to do. Boom. We see Jesus stepping in and going, heck yeah, let's do it. Wham. And then we got the spirit going, I'm going to protect my children and make sure it all works out perfect. He's hovering. Woo! That's good stuff. And so we see the divine activity really is our only hope. We can no more resurrect our own hearts than the earth can resurrect itself. And that's the hope of the gospel. So I'm going to pause real quick before we keep going through Genesis. And if you're trusting in your works to earn your way back into a right relationship with the in the beginning God, you just won't do it. You can't do enough good works because you have to match his holiness. You have to match his power. You have to do something to earn his favor. And we're all broken. And that's what sin is. We miss the mark. And so in our brokenness, we can't get back to that right relationship that was founded in the beginning. And then Jesus stepped in. At the will of the Father, but also voluntarily stepped out of heaven and said, I'll live the perfect life. I'll do all the works of the law. I'll do everything to match your holiness. And in doing so, he earned God's smile. But then he was given our wrath because wrath had to fall on somebody because of sin. So God poured out his wrath in a twisted yet loving display on the sun. The one who deserved all righteousness bore your unrighteousness at the cross. And so as he bears this, he's placed in a tomb. Death still reigns. We'll get to that in chapter 3. Death still reigns. But up from the grave, he arose on the third day, proving that the Father accepted his sacrifice. He arises, he ascends into heaven, and he begins to intercede. And he intercedes on behalf of all those who would, in faith, place their trust in the finished work of Christ. The Father says, here's going to be the plan. The Son steps in, and then you go, what about the Holy Spirit? Ha ha, Holy Spirit now busts on the scene and says, all of those... All of those, Ephesians chapter 1, who have placed their faith in you, I will seal. I'll hover over them until the day of redemption. So, man, if you don't know Jesus, if you've not placed your faith in him, why not today? Today could be your in the beginning. Let the Father speak to your heart. Come to the Son. Trust in him. And let the Spirit seal you. So there's a little gospel caveat. And let's move on into as we keep going through Genesis. So we get to Genesis. We see this trinity. We see the created heavens and the earth. And I want to say a couple of things. And I, I know <clears throat> I'm going to run out of time. I probably already ran out of time. Now I got a little bit. Okay. There's a lie about pastors. And I want to address this. There's several lies about us. Um, one is this, that we all play golf. Not true. 
I can't play golf, and I stink at it, so that's not true. Um, <clears throat> number two is this. People think, or they ask the question, Tyler gets this, I'm sure, that how do you, how do you come up with this stuff, and how do, you, how do you read, how do you come up with enough stuff for 30 minutes, whatever, and everybody at Safe Haven is like, well, Troy ain't got that problem. <laughs> the lie is that it's hard to come up with this stuff. The truth is it's really hard to cut away <laughs> what you don't want to throw out there. So i got a million things going through my brain, um, and we're trying to hone in on a couple. So stay with me. <clears throat> I do want to address one more thing in this. What did the Trinity do? So we've got this miraculous thing over scientific, and we've got this monotheistic God Trinity working, doing these things. He did create the heavens and the earth, and I want to say one thing about that. What I don't know. What I don't know is a lot of things. But what I don't know about this um, is something to do with the age of the earth. That would just pique some people's interest. If you are on team, the earth is 4.5 billion years old. Raise your hand. Okay. You got one, two, you got two brave, three, two brave people. Okay. If you're on team, the earth is 6,000 to 10,000 years old. Raise your hand. Got a little more. If you are on team, I don't know, and I feel like I'm going to fail a test. Raise your hand. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> That's one of those things we don't, like, nobody wants to talk about that in church. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be afraid of that. And Genesis gives us no reason to be afraid of that question. Let's just say this. So the pressure's off. Let's, let's look at this real quick, and we're going to circle back to that. I don't know about the age, but what I do know is this. The whole point of Genesis 1 and 1 and 2 is not to talk about the age. The, Genesis, the point of Genesis 1 and 2 is just to show us that it was actually created ex nihilo out of nothing. That's the point. The point is to war against materialism of having our trust and faith in molecules and cells and to have our trust and faith in the God who created molecules and cells. That's the, the point. I guess what I'm trying to say is this. Any woodworker can make a chair, right? But only God can make the materials necessary to make the chair. And that's what Genesis is getting at. That's the point. Don't get hung up on all kind of things. The point is to say, listen, here's where the fibers came from to make the chair. So it points us number three as we wrap it up. To intelligent design over random chance. That's where Genesis is taking us. Where do you see that? Well, the earth was, became without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. And then verse 3 says this. And then he said, let there be light. Which we'll get to next week. Let's go technical first real fast. Technical is this, the Hebrew reads, Vav Eretz Hayata Tohu Wabohu. That sounds like a bunch of gibberish with a couple of karate chops right in the middle of it. That Hayata is the was became. Now some of you grew up reading that passage. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth became without form and void. Others of you read growing up the earth was without form and void. That's a big, big difference right there. 
That was and became, and so what is it in the Hebrew? It's both of them. It is was and it is became. Now, why do I say this is technical? This is significant because random chance says that all energy at some point just started heading towards one another in a crazy random chance, hit each other, and exploded into matter. That takes a lot of faith to believe. I'm just going to be honest with you. If you look at me and go, Troy, man, it takes a lot of faith to believe the Bible. I'm going to go, man, it takes way less faith for me to believe that than you believing all energy all of a sudden just headed towards one another, hit each other, and made matter. I'm just going to say, I'm just gonna, I love you. I'm just going to say you're crazy, all right? It's just, I, just, I, don't, I don't believe that. It just, that random chance doesn't make sense. And the whole point of that is it's an attempt at reconciling the question of, well, how old is the earth? That's the, trying to get to a point where you can begin to calculate. That's the, that's the whole point. Well, here's what I'm saying with this technical thing. With this was and became, there's plenty of room for the earth to be 4.5 billion years old. And there's plenty of room for the earth to be six to 10,000 years old. And it's in that was became. In between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, with that was and became, could be a big giganto gap. It would read like this. In the beginning, God created heavens and earth. It was the primary, theologically is what they'll say, is the, is the, it's the primary creation. It was, it was, boom, there's creation. God created something. Now watch this. And then verse 2. Then the earth became without form and void. Secondary earth. So you've got a primary earth. God creates. Then all of a sudden in verse 2, with no understanding of how long that took or how it happened, now that earth is now become void and formless. Does that make sense? And then Genesis 1 Three is about to begin. The Spirit begins to hover over. God says, hey, Jesus, we're going to do this. We're going to create. This is what's going to happen. And then Genesis 3, boom, begins, let there be light. And now you've got the secondary earth that we would experience now. Primary earth, formless and void. Earth we experience now. And then Revelation says, one day is coming. There will be a what? New heaven. Thank you, Justin. There'll be a new heaven and new earth. And she go, okay, well, that's, golly, that's a lot to process, Troy. It is. It's an awful lot. But here's where it fits in. If you look at the earth and you go, man, there's so many layers in the stratosphere, and how did all this happen? Well, you can explain it a couple of ways, and it's perfectly fine. I'm on your team either way. If you go, hey, God created this, and it was... 4.5 billion years, and he had this thing, and then all of a sudden, Isaiah chapter 14, there's a war in heaven. Satan falls from heaven after this battle. There's chaos. He's thrown down and cast down. Darkness comes. Ezekiel also says this in chapter 28. And there's cosmic chaos, and all of a sudden it goes dark, and then God begins what we know is creation. And that explains the layers in the stratosphere. It explains the rings in the trees. It explains the age of the earth. I go to you, high five, man. We can be on the same page as long as you say God did it. 
Boom, right? And if you go negative, <laughs> negative Troy, because if you trace the genealogies in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then trace the histories of all mankind, you can only come up with 6,000 years. I'm going to go high five. We're on the same page. Boom, you just took me back to Genesis 1, chapter 2, and I got no problem with that. It's beautiful. So don't get in this tug of war of, well, this will disprove this. Ah, no, man. There's plenty of room for that technical side of that verse. I think it's beautiful. <clears throat> so if God created, and then there was the cosmic war, and then the earth became without form and void, and then creation as we know it began, let there be light out of this darkness, and then animals, and da-da-da-da. Wonderful. And that's how that fits in this verse. All right. I love that. All that to say, this is the exact same word that was used for Lot's wife. Same Hebrew word. Lot and Lot's wife head out. God says, do not look back at Sodom and Gomorrah. They're going. Lot's wife has to take a sneak peek. She's got to get a selfie, whatever it is. She turns back. God instantly says, you are now, boom, a what? Pillar of salt. Turns her right in that moment. Here's what that Hebrew word says. And Lot's wife, Hayata, was a pillar of salt. Now, was she or did she become? She became, right? It was a transitional moment. And so this is where all this fits in. So that's technical. But now what about some plain fun? Y'all ready for plain fun? Yeah. Let's go for some plain fun now as we wrap up our time. The point of this passage also is this. It's an expanse, and the expanse went from formless, uninhabitable, and dark. No matter where you're at on the spectrum of was, was there just one main creation or a primary and then blah, blah, blah. It went from formless, uninhabitable, and dark to vast, expansive, and very bright and beautiful. That's the point of Genesis chapter 1. How vast an expanse. I'm going to read a few things. And as I read these things, I'm going to read them because this is where I had to cut a lot of stuff. Man, this is just, I want you to grasp how big an expanse Genesis 1, 1 and 2 really was. Number one, we don't even know how big the universe is. There is no telescope capable, not the Hubble not the new one that's been created. Like, nobody knows how big the universe is. It's so big that any scientist these days will call the universe as we know it, not the universe, but the known universe. Because we don't even know how big it is, right? Here's what we do know about this awesome universe. God said at some point, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, let there be light, and when he spoke light, light came out, and also light speed was established. Right out of God's mouth, light speed, boom, began. And with that came the rate of 186,000 miles per second is what light speed is. So this was originated, 186,000 miles a second. The Milky Way consists of a billion stars. That's a billion stars just in our universe, all of these stars being light years from one another. 
If we were to count the billions of stars in the Milky Way galaxy, at the rate of one star per second, it would take us 2,500 light years just to count the stars in our own galaxy. Riveting, right? Our galaxy is at least 100,000 light years across, and we don't understand how these fit together. The sun is just one of the billion stars in our subdivision galaxy that we call the Milky Way, which is among hundreds of billions of other subdivisions known in the universe that God made. Here's a few of them. 440 light years out, we come to a constellation called the Pleiades. This is mentioned in Job, other places. A thousand light years out from that, we come to the Vela Pulsar. 8,000 light years out from that becomes the Hourglass Nebula. 28 million light years out from that comes the Sombrero Galaxy. That sounds like a party waiting to happen. The Hubble Telescope can only reach so far. It reaches 31 million light years away where we come to the Grand Design Galaxy, which is also made up of hundreds of billions of stars. And so if you calculate all of that, and if you could travel at the speed of light, which I brought up a minute ago, and try to make it to the furthest one at the speed of light, which we can't do, 186,000 miles per second. If you could travel 186,000 miles per second, it would still take you 31 million years to get to the furthest galaxy we even know of. That's crazy. And you hear that and you go, Troy, I lost you a minute ago because I don't understand that. I go, I don't understand it either. And that's the point. That's the point of Genesis 1, 1 and 2. For us to read it and not go, in the beginning God created. When am I going to get the numbers? It's for us to read Genesis 1, 1 and 2 and go, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and he was hovering. And then the spirit begins to hover over the face of the waters. And then God says, let there be light. And we hear that and we go, whoa, that's a big God. I bow to that God. That's the point. And he didn't make any of it by mistake. He knows every millisecond fiber of it. There's not one piece of dust in his 31 billion mile galaxy, whatever, that he doesn't know about intimately, which tells me this. If none of those specks of dust were mistakes, then you ain't either. If he cares about every single one of those specks of dust, he cares about you intimately. He knows your pains, and he cares about them. He knows your joys, and he cares about them. He knows your hopes, and he cares about them. He knows your dreams, and he cares about them. He knows your questions and he cares about them. He knows your anxieties and he cares about them. Just like he cares about every single speck of dust in his unknown universe. 
And that's why Genesis is awesome. Because each and every page will tell a tale of his love for his creation and how he came down to redeem it because we could not go up to him to be redeemed. Praise God. So as the band comes back up, any other explanation of the beginning of earth is not an attack on science or attack on reason or attack on logic. Any other explanation of the beginning of earth is an attack against the holy God that created the universe. Any other explanation? It's an attack against him. It's an offense against him. It's Satan right at the beginning saying, if I can create this seed of doubt in your mind right off the beginning, I got you. Any other attempt? The Genesis seed begins us today. And what a journey I expect our time will be. Let's pray together. So spirit of the living God who in the beginning hovered (laughs) who fluttered if we will over the cosmos and brought about the six days of creation the seventh day of rest and then continues today Spirit of the living God. Would you move over our church like you moved in the original days of creation? Make all things new in both us as individuals and us as a corporate church as we study this divinely inspired book together. We love you, Jesus. Teach us to love you more through the book of Genesis.